Hey friends, welcome to the South Bend City Church Podcast. Jason Miller here, and before we get to this episode, we wanted to let you know that we're hiring at South Bend City Church. We're looking for a worship and arts pastor who will curate the songs, prayers, scriptures, reflections, Eucharistic practices, quiet spaces, and celebrations that help us grow in the way of Jesus, and who will lead the teams that create those expressions for both our gatherings and our podcast, which means if we get this hire done well, it'll actually up our game on the podcast that you're listening to right now. If you're interested or you know somebody who might be, go to southbendcitychurch.com slash jobs. You'll see the full job description and the steps that you can take to apply. Church family, uh, we hope that you're praying with us as we look for the right person to add to our team. And may grace and peace be with you. So I've noticed that human beings can get excited about just about anything if they take a rooting interest. I first started thinking about this probably when I was a kid and I would go to minor league hockey games with my dad. And this is in the 80s, so uh, not a lot of great technology yet back then. And I remember like it made sense to me, people rooting for the teams in the hockey game, that made sense. But what didn't make sense to me was that during the intermissions, there would be up on the video board, they would have uh, different colored, uh, very pixelated, low quality Zamboni machine pictures, right? and uh, there would be like a red, blue, green, and yellow. And I remember they would come on, the announcer would come on, on the microphone and they would tell the people in the arena, all right, this section here, you guys are all cheering for red, and this section over here, you guys are cheering for blue, and for green, and for yellow. And I remember as they would say that, I was like, yeah, good luck with that. Like, n nobody's gonna cheer for this. It's just lines moving across the screen. Nobody's going to care. And then they would say go, and the lines would slowly start to move across the screen and people were losing their minds. People were screaming and cheering for whatever color they were told to cheer for, as if this was all like a normal thing to do, right? And I remember just sitting there watching this as a kid, and I felt a little bit like a bystander on an alien planet, and just thinking, what is going on here? Like, people, this is not real. They already know what's going to happen in advance. Like, none of this is real. And yet people still get excited cheering this thing on. I was more than a bit judgy. Well, fast forward to pandemic and me browsing YouTube one day and I stumbled across this thing called Marble League on YouTube. Check it out, you can thank me later. So Marble League is this guy, this genius really, on YouTube and what he's done is he creates courses and he races teams of colored marbles down these courses that he creates uh, to see which team and which marble ends up running the course the fastest. He makes these courses down uh, the side of like sand dunes or beaches or things like that. These really complicated winding courses that are, that are kind of interesting. And I remember watching this at first and seeing the marbles. I was like, okay, that, that's interesting. I see why it kind of showed up in my feed. Um, and as I'm just kind of casually watching one of these kind of as a bystander, uh, I'm watching as the yellow marble is going down the course and the white marble comes around the turn really fast and at right, just the right angle and it knocks the yellow marble out of the way. And I remember seeing this and like something changed in me because I did not feel like that was right. And so as I'm watching this race, suddenly these emotions will up and I'm like, how dare you white marble? How dare you come in? Yellow was just minding his business and you knocked it out of its way. And from that point on, I'm hooked. I'm emotionally invested into these marble races and I go and I look up and find out that the yellow team is Mellow Yellow, right? And I become a fan of Team Mellow Yellow and I end up watching Marble League. I watch 
more time than I care to admit watching Marble League and being a fan of Mellow Yellow. And as I would watch Mellow Yellow, I was able to focus on them and cheer for them and watch every every turn they would take and every block they would make and every speed boost they would hit. Like I was in it all in on Mellow Yellow. I had went from being a bystander at the beginning to being somebody that was emotionally invested. I wish I could say that that's the most extreme I get with my emotional investment into things, but it's not. If you know me, I get this way about all sorts of things. Uh, a little while back, I bought a company. I bought stock in a company, but it feels like I bought a company. Uh, it's a company that does some, some work in Vietnam. Uh, it's, a, it's a penny stock, so all the financial advisors out there, yes, you can judge me now, I, I deserve that. Uh, but when I bought this company, or into this company, things changed for me. Like, it, it changed how I thought about things because I'm no longer just watching and cheering for this thing like the marbles. Now I'm a part of this, right? Like, I am on the team. So I don't have to use words like, they're doing this and the yellow team's doing that. I'm on the team, so now it's all like we and, and us, right? Like, we need to get our shipments out. Our CEO needs to get his act together, right? Like, I am on the team, so I am deeply invested now into this thing, uh, and I follow all the ups and downs of it, right? I don't know how the stock market works, to be honest with you, uh, but I can tell you what the weather in Vietnam is like this type of time of year and how the holidays like affect the production cycles, right? Like, I am zoned in, all in on this thing. It's fascinating to see the difference in how much I engage and how much I care in the difference between when I was just a bystander at the hockey game to being emotionally invested in the marbles to being fully invested in the company, right? Because the more invested you are into something, the more you care. And the more you care about something, the more you focus in and are able to see what's going on clearly because you're paying attention. And the better you're able to see, then the better you're able to respond to whatever it is that comes up along the way. And that's not just the way the world works. That's also how God works, how God loves. God gets invested, deeply invested. And we see this about God throughout the stories of Scripture, starting right at the very beginning. Right at the very beginning of the story of God revealing God's self to humanity, uh, entering the picture to walk through life with us and to love us well, we get this story not of God generally loving the world, uh, not of God just generally coming and saying, hey, I'm here, I'm going to love you all, uh, I'm here for you all, but God chose a different path to revealing God's love to us. God chose the path of revealing God's self to one person at first, to an individual, to a guy named Abram or Abraham. And we see this story uh, starting in Genesis uh, chapter 17, verse 7. God says this to Abraham in this conversation he has. God says, I will establish my promise as an everlasting promise between me and you and your descendants after you for generations to come, that I will be your God and the God of your descendants after you. In Exodus 6, verse 7, it says it like this. God says, I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. 
So here we have a picture of God who doesn't just choose to love generally, but God loves particularly. He comes to an individual and chooses to walk with that individual and love that individual and that individual's descendants, Abraham and Abraham's descendants. Why is the question that comes to me when I, when I read this? Why, why is that happening? Why Abraham? Well, we're not actually told in this story why Abraham. We're not told that there's some special, unique qualities about Abraham that sets, that, that sets Abraham apart. Uh, we're just told that it happens. So I do think there's a why question here, but, but the story's not asking why Abraham. The story's asking why does God behave in this way? Why does God choose to love particularly, not just choose to love generally? Why does God choose a people? Well, we get this, the story of this actually pretty quickly as we move on in, into this story throughout Scripture. Uh, the next thing we see, we see God's people, God's chosen people, the people of Israel, the descendants of Abraham that God made that promise with. They very quickly find themselves uh, conquered and taken away as slaves in the land of Egypt where they're uh, suffering under brutal, oppressive slavery in Egypt. And in this environment, uh, God wants to do something to show love to the people of Israel. And so God has this conversation with Moses that we find in Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. And it goes like this. Then God said, I have indeed, indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land. Yes, the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Okay, so God sees the people of Israel, and God responds by rescuing them, uh, telling Moses that, that he's going to use Moses to deliver them. Right, so God is going to rescue his people, but the interesting thing that leads to that is what God's response is, that God says, I have heard the cries of my people. I have heard the cries of my people. This isn't just uh, something that God says here, but this is something we see throughout scriptures. Anytime the people of Israel get themselves into trouble, we see God saying things like, I have heard your cries and I'm going to choose to act here. And the picture we have is that there's something really beautiful about God choosing a people because then God is directing God's attention to the people. God is emotionally invested in what happens to the people and is watching, just like I was watching the marble course for Team Yellow when I focused in and, and watching all the twists and turns and successes and failures, God is zoomed in, focused in, caring about his people. And because God is zoomed in, tuned in, God is able to hear their cries in the midst of their suffering and know just what to do about it and be able to respond to them in the middle of their suffering. It's really important that God moves from being a bystander to being emotionally invested because it allows God to see and to act and to respond more clearly. But God doesn't just stop there. Uh, there's another shift for God uh, that we find in the New Testament, in the story of Jesus, right? Uh, as Jesus into the picture, enters the picture, God goes yet another step from bystander to emotionally invested, but, but one more step. And we pick that up in John chapter 1, verses 14, where we're told, uh, according to the message, we're told that the Word, God, Jesus, became flesh and blood 
and moved into the neighborhood. God took on flesh and blood, our humanity. God didn't just stay on the sidelines. God didn't just stay focusing his attention on his people, but God actually joined into the midst of it. God joined the team. God put on the jersey. He took on flesh and blood, and then he moved into the neighborhood. God came close to us. God didn't just stay distant. God wanted to be close, wanted to walk through life, wanted to share the experiences that we experience. This is different than just emotional investment. God invested fully into his people. And that makes a pretty big difference for a lot of different reasons. But I love how the author of Hebrews says it in Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. Talking about Jesus as the high priest, the author says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who is tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. What difference does it make that God decided to join our team and walk through our experience? Well, here, the author says the difference is empathy, understanding. Because God joined in, God gets it. God gets what we're going through. God is able to see very clearly. God is able to empathize and understand in a way that allows God to respond. And that makes a big difference for us. Because if you have somebody who who gets you, if you have somebody who can empathize and understand your experience, that changes how you feel and how you're able to interact. That changes how you feel about that loving relationship. And the author of Hebrews here talks about trust. Because we know that we can trust God because God is empathetic and kind and understanding, we can come confidently to God. There is trust in that relationship that you know that when, when we need a response, that God will come through for us with the response that we need. God shared this experience. And there's something about shared experience that cements the bonds of love. You may think about how that plays out in your life. For lots of us, the deepest relationships we have, where we feel the most love, are the relationships where we've been through some stuff together. Right? The friend that's there with you in the midst of the struggles in your marriage, the people that are there with you in the loss of a loved one, a child, or a parent, or a friend. The people that you go through with are the ones that you feel most close to. Not just the people that are there with you, but even more so if somebody experiences the same thing at the same time that you do. If you both lose your job together or go through something tough, that shared experience cements this bond of love and understanding between us. And the same thing is with God. In those moments where we feel like nobody gets us, in those moments where we feel unusual, unique, in a way that people can't connect with, in the times we feel lost and alone and afraid, we should know that we have a God who sees and cares and is invested in us, a God who has shared our experience, who empathizes and understands and wants to respond with love. So, Moving to the point of all this, the point of this series is to love our city well, for us to love our city well. 
And we looked last week at the story of Jesus and the Good Samaritan and understand that loving our city well is just about seeing and responding well to the needs around us. Are we able to see what's going on and are we able to respond to that? And last week, the point was that if we're going to be good neighbors, if we're going to love our city well, we should be able to see and respond to the urgent things that come up in life, the things that are tugging at our coat, the things that are demanding our attention. Are we able to notice and be flexible enough to see and respond to those things? But today we're just talking about this idea that's very simple, that if we want to love well, if we want to see and respond well, the best thing we can do is to get invested. Because the deeper, more deeply we get invested, the more we can see clearly, the more we can understand with empathy, and the more we can respond with just the right help at just the right time. My experience with this is, comes from uh, being the pastor of a church in an under-resourced community on the northwest side of South Bend. Now, I get a little cringy when I tell these stories of things I've learned because they can sound like hero success stories, but actually most of the things I've learned in life I've learned by failing um, and then God's gracious kindness to me and my neighbor's gracious kindness to me in that process. Um, I, I, I've learned a lot along the way through those things. So uh, I moved into this neighborhood on the northwest side and uh, I started as a pastor there when I was just 23 years old. I was young and arrogant, straight out of college. Thought I had all the answers, um, but, but was pretty ignorant in addition to, to arrogant. And just started trying to make a difference in the community by doing the normal churchy things, right? We were doing Sunday school with kids. We were doing vacation Bible school with kids. We were doing all these churchy things, trying to get people in. Uh, but the reality is that it was not uh, being received well. Like people just weren't connecting well. People were not engaging well. Uh, my neighbors were viewing me with skepticism um, and, and not as a very helpful person. Well, so over time we realized we needed to try new things and do things, so we tried doing things that we like to do um, to, to be helpful. So we started things like a, like a community garden, right? Uh, well, it turns out that people just don't like squash that much, and it, squash is not a great community builder as you might think that it would be. Uh, people weren't engaging, people weren't connecting. There's lots of ways in which uh, I continued to, to hit my head against the wall in decisions. Well, after I'd been there for a while, I'd been there about six or seven years, and over this time, um, I started to be able to watch and learn from my neighbors a little better and started to have kids of my own. And as I was looking around the community, one of the things that we were noticing was that there was a lot of kids that were just wandering the streets of our neighborhood. Um, many times they were locked out of their houses during the day, often because uh, parents were working out of the home and needed, needed some quiet and so kids would need to be outside or uh, because parents were working the night shift and so they'd be home during the day and needed sleep and so they would have the kids go outside so that they could get the rest that they needed to survive. Uh, but kids were wandering the streets of the neighborhood with nothing to do. And so oftentimes you'd find kids that would get themselves into trouble, not because they were bad kids, but because they were bored kids. Right? And, and they would find themselves in these painful circumstances uh, just because of not having anything good and positive to do. So we finally realized, like, hey, what our neighborhood needs is a basketball court so the kids have something positive to do. So I remember when we started taking steps and we, we ended up pouring the, the cement, the concrete for the basketball court, uh, and just had it poured as a big slab besides the church building. And I remember one day I was walking across the street from my house to the church and a neighbor pulled up in her SUV and stopped me and rolled down the window. And as she looked at me, she's like, 
Hey, Pastor, what's going on over there? She said, is that, are you guys building a new parking lot? And I laughed a little bit. I was like, I, I don't think we have enough people to need a parking lot, but uh, no, we're, we're actually, we're building a basketball court because we see that the kids in the neighborhood seem like they need some more positive things to do. And so we're just trying to, to create something that will help the kids out a little bit. And I remember she smiled and paused for a second. And then she said something that was really hit me strange in that moment. The next thing she said was, you've been here for a while, haven't you? And it hit me because I was realizing there was a lot in that, right? What she was doing was affirming the choice we had made to build a basketball court, but she was also affirming that finally we got into the point where the things that we were doing were seeing and responding to the needs that actually existed in the, in the neighborhood, not just the needs that we thought might be there. Right? And as much as it was celebrating a success of something that we learned in the moment, it was also an indictment on the previous seven years that we'd spent spinning our wheels just doing things we thought were helpful that really weren't. In that moment, for the first time, I felt deeply invested in my neighborhood. I felt like I had finally gone from just uh, slightly emotionally invested to fully joining the team. I had become a neighbor of my neighborhood. What does this look like for you? What does it look like for you to find yourself on the inside of a deeply invested circle in a way that you can be a good neighbor by seeing and responding well? What does it look like for you to be closely to the inside so you see what people are going through, you understand and empathize with what's needed and you're able to respond in the most helpful way? Well, first of all, I wanna talk about what are the ways that you're already probably deeply invested? What are the ways that you're probably already uniquely positioned to see and respond? I think about our families or our blocks where we live or the places that we work. In each of those situations, we're already kind of implanted and entrenched and surrounded by people close enough to see what others are going through with enough shared experience to be able to walk through things well together with empathy in our workplace environments. Maybe you're a part of an environment where there's a toxic work culture or the boundaries aren't very great. And you know that not only is this a weight on you, but it's also a weight on your other coworkers. And you uniquely respond to recognize the drowning that you see in their eyes and respond with care and affection because you also see and experience that same thing yourself. There's all sorts of ways we're already uniquely positioned in these well-invested circles that we can respond to. I think about something like travel sports, right? I, I know for our family, my daughters are involved in soccer and their soccer teams, we're, we're going through three seasons a year and some of them since, since my kids were four years old. Right? There's some of those families in those circles that I see more often and am better connected to than my own family. There's some of those people that I'm in deeper community with and it feels more like church, uh, even though they will never walk through the doors of church at times, right? We can find ourselves connected in some meaningful ways into deeply invested groups like this. And sometimes uh, churches can get a little weird with that, right? I've been in places where we're skeptical of these outside circles and want everything deep and meaningful to be, to be integrated into the church. But the reality is, is that God brings these relationships in, in, along in a variety of ways. And any type of invested community like this should be seen as a great opportunity for love and for care. 
maybe the group you're invested in or could be invested in is because of shared life circumstances. Maybe there's something unique about your life story and your life circumstance that allows you to understand people with shared life circumstances. Maybe you've walked through something painful and challenging. Maybe you've experienced trauma or abuse in a certain way that allows you to relate to others with empathy and compassion who have also experienced trauma or abuse. Maybe it's addiction that binds you in commonality and shared experience to others. One of the stories I love is one of our friends here in the church community, Leslie. Uh, Leslie uh, asked me for coffee one day to tell me about her passion. She, she said, I am a single parent, and being a single parent has allowed me to see that single parents fake, face unique challenges uh, and, and feel unique things uh, that the rest of the world doesn't think about sometimes. And so for Leslie, it was recognizing that this experience for her uh, allowed her to see and be able to empathize and respond more clearly to others with shared experiences. Also, uh, if you are a single parent and would like contact, uh, go ahead and email care at southbendcitychurch.com and we can make sure that we get you connected to Leslie and the things that she has going on. But the reality is there's probably ways you're already deeply invested and just need to be able to see the importance of that investment and respond, take up the challenge to respond from there. But the other thing is, what are the ways in which you might be called to intentionally invest yourself in other groups for the sake of others? In what ways might you be called to be an ally, to, to, to tune in more deeply so that others might feel more known and supported and cared for? I can think of a lot of ways that this might take place. Uh, sometimes it's just thinking about where you position yourself, right? Do you relocate where you live or where you spend your time so that you're spending your time around other people in an act of deeper investment with the people that spend their time in those places? Maybe it's about how you volunteer and where you choose to spend your volunteer time in a way that gets more invested into others. Or maybe it's even thinking about your career. One of the things I love about South Bend City Church is we have so many people doing so many important things. Uh, we have people who have invested their careers in some of our service providers, such as Hope Ministries and St. Margaret's House and the LGBTQ Center and uh, with foster care agencies and in public schools, right? People are investing their lives deeply in a variety of different ways. Might there be something in that for you as you consider your future career or your next career move, that there might be ways that you can get invested more deeply through that. There's a variety of ways that we can think about investment, but the reality is if we want to love our community well, loving well comes through getting invested more deeply. As I think about us at South Bend City Church, that's really my hope and my prayer. My hope and my prayer for us is that South Bend City Church would have a great reputation not just as a great church, but individually, the individuals throughout our church. As people would think about South Bend City Church, what would come to mind for people in our city is, wow, there is a lot of people there that are really great people that will have your back. That's my prayer for us. As we go today, uh, I just want you to be reminded that not only uh, do we desire to be a good community for each other, that loves each other well, that sees, and empathizes and responds well. But regardless of what happens with others, that's the story we have of God. 
There is a God who sees you and what you're going through, who does not leave you alone and afraid, a God who has turned God's attention towards you and wants to invest in your story with you, wants to walk through life with you. May you know that love and may you know that you're never alone. Grace and peace be with you.